Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Veth. Here's Stefan Bielkowski, and this show comes from you live from very, very snowy Munich. Uh, minus 10 degrees at the moment, 50 centimeters of brand new snow overnight that um, actually, Stefan, it's a miracle I'm here. I actually think I made it on one of the last planes to land at uh, Muck or Franz Josef Strauss Airport, it's called, in Munich. And um, hopeful to see Bayern Munich on Saturday But that wasn't meant to be. Um, instead, I got to enjoy the Christmas markets, eat some good food, hang out with the family. Yeah, that was my weekend so far. How about you? How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's <did> slightly better. <laughs> um, it's been snowing here as well. It's currently minus one here. It's not as bad. Um, Scald has been covered in snow as well. I was also, uh, coincidentally, um, furiously trying to figure out a way to fly to Munich as well. Uh, last night but for different reasons um, you were trying to get home to your family I was trying to book tickets for the Euros next year um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to do that so booked and ready to go uh, in Munich of all places uh, and mm. against Germany against Scotland on the opening yeah. day it's as if it's as if the this football gods were... podcast is going to be in trouble <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's as if the footballing gods were like, let's have a gegenpressing start to this this competition. Um, and yeah, it should be good fun. should be good fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, as is, as I said, like uh, I'm going to host apparently a bunch of Scottish people here at my host house in, or my family's house in Munich. Um, of course, you will be sleeping in the garden if you win. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope you've told your poor father, who's probably listening to this podcast right now. This might be the first time he's heard about it. So if no, it is, no. I apologize. <laughs> he's 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 already. Uh, I've already told him yesterday. Um, I told you this before, right? Um, I used to have these friends, and then oh, I'm still friends with them. It's just they've grown up and have kids now, so they can't do this anymore. But um, my one buddy in Denmark, he asked me, "Oh, can I come down for Oktoberfest?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." He's like, "Oh, can I bring my friends?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." It's like four or five friends every year. Oktoberfest, so um, it can't be any worse than them. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Um, I think we'll be far more polite, and you know, I'm sure there'll be a really nice bottle of whiskey or something in it for you as well, which is something we can always promise from Scotland. So, uh, which is much better than the Gammeldansk and the uh, marinated fish that they brought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. I don't think uh, I can't remember the last time marinated fish from Denmark was sold for multiple millions of pounds quite like the whiskey from Scotland but uh, I'll yeah. leave it there before we start an international instant I, I think my dad is the only non-Danish person that likes that stuff so <laughs> uh, yeah Anyways. Well, anyway should we, should we talk about the football that's yeah. actually happening now rather than next summer Let's do that. Um, let's have this little break here and then let's start, about, start talking about actual football. 
This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The holiday season is off and rolling, with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. BetOnline is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. For up to the minutes by sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big four. BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that is played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, Stefan, um, wanna, you want to talk about the news a bit first or should we jump straight into the big game? Um, I mean, we should probably clear up a few things as to why uh, we're doing the show this way, this and maybe yeah. just our service announcement for the week ahead because it's pretty yeah. crazy for both of us, isn't it? Well, so fingers crossed with a little luck, both of us will make it to Hamburg tomorrow on Monday, right? <laughs> uh, you may have noticed it's it's a little difficult, especially where I am right now, and uh, there is snow in the forecast for Monday in Hamburg. So, with a little luck, we'll be in Hamburg tomorrow, um, and then we'll be there for a week. Um, so, the, things might be a little different. We'll, we'll get the content out as we usually do, usually do, just giving a heads up that things might be a little bit different, right? Um, I think we're trying to flag down SEP to, to a special show, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. We'll see. We will, uh, there's a good chance this week may descend into some kind of uh, Home Alone 2 effort where we're just aimlessly running around the city um, looking for somewhere to stay or <laughs> looking for a house with power but uh, we will strive to uh, continue with the regular scheduled uh, podcasting newsletters and everything in between we also have uh, a Christmas party transformed on the Thursday night um, which I've been told routinely goes into the 2, 3, 4 a.m. slot. Um, yeah, so. which means we need to record the previous show before that. <laughs> or during it. <laughs> oh, ah, that might be a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> we'll find the right slots. We'll do it during lunch breaks or, yeah, we'll figure it out. There's, there is enough rooms uh, at the office for recording. That's the good news. So we should be able to do it. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, and then also, of course, um, want to point out Matt did a really good piece on the top spiel this week right um, that's already up um, we're going to try to get uh, Monday bulletin up as well uh, might be a little later because you know we're probably going to put it together while we're traveling but we're going to try to get it up and also um, because I've been asked this by a few people uh, the Bayern game right and the way it was cancelled um, I think Bayern Munich put out a really good statement about why why they had to do this right the field was actually okay to play on, Stefan, but it's really um, the travel situation in and around the city made it almost impossible. Um, I walked around downtown uh, today, and even though, you know, at this point, um, some roads have been cleared and sidewalks have been cleared, um, it, it was just treacherous even to walk, right? So now imagine 75,000 people trying to go that big walkway up to the stadium. Um, then there was 50 centimeters of snow onto the roof, now imagine that falling down midday game, right? Um, there's been pictures from inside the Allianz Arena as well that showed several uh, seats fully covered in snow. 
Um, and at that stage, the the way it works, the DFA, the DFL, and the uh, hosting club sit together and they decide whether a game goes ahead. And then there's different jurisdiction levels, right? Um, if this has had, would have been a matter of just the field, then it's the referees that decide whether the field is good or not to, good to play, right? Um, obviously, the field was okay. Um, then it's the Bundesliga, if they have a scheduling conflict or they feel like it's it's safe to play, uh, they then talk to the club. And in this case, Bayern Munich as the host and the owner of the stadium, right, um, the event manager, so to speak, um, they had to make a clear statement that it was simply not safe for 75,000 people to attend the game. And at that stage, um, and this was was uh, basically what people at the DFL told me, if the if the organizers say it's look it's just not safe at that moment the game is simply off um and i think you know when you really look at it um i looked out saturday morning and um i could barely look out the house because there was just masses of mass of snow and i looked at my mom and said there's no way there's just no way right uh we couldn't even get out of our house and um yeah simply really quickly after that it was called off so I personally think it's the right decision. Um, it's a smart decision. And it looks like this game will be played in January 2024. Um, because, you know, the, the the way it works, the DFB is, you know, there would be a slot open this week because of the DFB Pokal, right? Both teams have eliminated. But the DFB doesn't like have Bundesliga games going on at the same time as the Pokal um, because they don't want the spotlight to go off the Pokal to the Bundesliga. So... Um, the rescheduling will be in in January, likely right after the Christmas break. Yeah. So there you got it. That's the the Bayern bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It'd be really, it, it is. It, it's interesting that Bayern do have that kind of um, you know game in hand because we've talked about this in recent seasons about uh, how you know. Oh. Um, I mean, it's usually the other way around that. Um, well, maybe not. Actually, I don't know. Bayern sometimes revel in having that last game on a Sunday night. Uh, yeah. They get to watch what happens before it. Sometimes it works in the favour of the team who've played before. Sometimes it plays in the favour of the team who've, who are um, playing in hand. But it probably means that Leverkusen are now going to be top of the table for the winter break. Unless, of course, they start dropping points, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, but... Uh, it's an interesting psychological thing as well on top of the kind of obvious logistics which make perfect sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that does impact Bayern's uh, season going forward. I thought of quite a bit about that yesterday and I think they would have smashed Union Berlin on Saturday. Okay. But do we know that's actually still going to happen in January? Union could be a much different club then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens, aren't we? I mean... It's tricky, um, yeah. but um, like you said, and we talked about Union recently and how you would think there'd be big changes in January, but um, I mean, my money is obviously still on Bayern to beat Union in any kind of form, even when they're at their absolute best last season, they struggled against Bayern to a large extent, if I'm not mistaken, um, unless I'm clearly forgetting stuff. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens, I guess, is the, the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah. No, it is fascinating. And then uh, before we get into the big game too, uh, and I wrote quite a bit about this yesterday, um, not going to the Bayern game meant I got to see the U17 um, win the World Cup. 
and mm. um, they did this in front. And I've I've talked about this generation uh, a couple times already on the show and uh, to the subscribers right in the in the in the chat that we have. So if you haven't subscribed yet, you can you can join that there because I've been asked about the U seventeen and I've talked to quite a few scouts and so on about this team and there's at least five or six guys on this team that are surefire stars, right? Um, and I've been really impressed by the way they navigated this tournament. Um, they go into this tournament as the reigning U17 European champion and now have completed the double, I guess, by winning the U17 World Cup as well. And they beat Spain, Argentina, and France in the knockout stage back to back to back. Um, and doing it by having to come some pretty big obstacles. Um, the Argentina game, they were up twice, um, conceded late to have the game to go into over into penalties where um, Hintze, the goalkeeper, made two fabulous stops. Um, and then against France, they were dominant. Um, after the second goal, conceded that goal and then lost the player to a red card and they managed to get that game into penalties where they, once again, the goalkeeper was outstanding. Um, and you know what? I think why lots of Germans were captivated by this team, Stefan, is not because they were clearly, uh, they're clearly very, very talented. Um, and that showed throughout the tournament. In fact, the best player wasn't even there because he had to leave injured, right? That's Uwe Draugo, who we've talked about uh, on the show as well, the Schalke talent. Um, but I think it's because that when they faced adversity, they showed a sort of mentality and the good old German vir virtues or Deutsche Tugenden that we've kind of been missing from the senior team, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of Germans watch this team and have been watching this team and saying, ha, huh, so these virtues do still exist. How can we get them to get, get them into the senior team? Because like, it's one thing to be clearly talented. And, you know, I don't think um, the issue with the German national team is just talent. There's a lot of other things going on there. And when you look at the this U17 team, and the way that they were just able, when they faced adversity, they didn't fall over. And I think that resonated with a lot of people here. It was over all the major TV, like it was on major TV here, the final, right? Mm -hmm. And then all the, the actual sports studio, which is like the big show, they showed it before the top spiel, uh, which is usually the big the big highlight show that they do. They showed that before the top spiel, you know, and usually youth tournaments don't get a lot of attention here. But I think what resonated with it was just the fact that this team had some fight in it. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting that it was on TV because if you compare that to the World Cup last year where most games weren't even shown on big screens at the cities or in the country because there was just no interest or... Not that there was no interest, but obviously there was a huge kind of backlash to the World Cup being in, Ger in, in Germany, uh, <laughs> in the Middle East. Um, you know, that in itself turned off a lot of fans, but it was obviously the fact as well that the national team just was not inspiring people for a yeah. long time. Even if you take results out of it, there's been a lot of disconnect between, you know, the German FA, match going football fans at the Bundesliga and lower down the leagues. And it's it's they've obviously doing what they can to try and fix things. You know, they're changing the nickname, they're getting rid of the D Mannschaft and, you know, big heads of roles um in Frankfurt. But it's it's not really resonating with fans just yet. And that hasn't helped by the fact that leading up to this World Cup, uh, to this Euros, Germany, the senior team, are having to basically just play a series of, you know, uncompetitive matches. Um, 
I think the jury's still out on actually how good this team is or how bad it is because we'll never know until they play a competitive match. And, you know, I was sitting with some friends last night. I was actually on a Christmas night out with some friends from university and a few of them were going to the Euros next year and they said, oh, that's fantastic that they got Germany. And I was like, well, just hold on a minute. We don't really know the measure of this team until they play, they step through on a competitive game, never mind one in which they're hosting the tournament. So... We need to we need to kind of wait and see whether the the senior team can make up that kind of uh, difference. But the fact that under seventeens have done this and the manner in which they've done it is such a great inspiration for the first team, and uh, it just shows exactly what they should be doing to try and win over the fans. It's quite simple: win some games and show some heart. <laughs> but I mean, that's sometimes all it takes to inspire a nation, right? Because like. This tournament was kind of like, oh, yeah, the U17 is really good. And then they're like one or three games at the group stage. And people were like, oh, yeah, like, that's cool. And then they beat Spain. And they're like, oh, let's put this on main TV. And then they beat Argentina, right? We were like the favorites to win the the World Cup. And they're like, oh, wow, this team could actually really do something. And then all of a sudden, all the major newspapers and Kicker and all these outlets were covering it. And it really shows you that it doesn't take a lot to inspire a country, right? You see this with smaller sports you know the basketball team for example won the the world championships this year right and at the beginning of the tournament people didn't really tune in and then as tournament progressed and people realized hey well this team is actually really good people started following and watching it and that's really i think what it takes and that's somehow something that julian nagelsmann and his boys have to to capture um i mean we saw a little bit of it when they beat france right after flick was uh, fired right you had that little bit of a spark already um then, of course, you had these two terrible national team games against Austria and Turkey, which, Stefan, and I think I said this before on the show, is is a tricky one, right? Because for Germany, these are just friendlies that you have to go get, get, you have to just play and get out of the way. Whereas for Turkey and Austria, because of the history, those are big games that you want to win. And so it just creates a dynamic that makes it really difficult to judge this national team. So, yeah. I guess the jury is out. I think that's a really good way of saying it. Um, but I think this U17 national team gave you a really good blueprint on how to on how to navigate a tournament, even when you face some obstacles. And I have to say, I think on balance too, this U17 in its age group, the squad is more balanced and better than the senior team, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, so... You know, this that you have to kind of take that into consideration. You know, in its peer group, that U17 team is probably one of the best, or, or well, right now, the best in the world. So it's a little bit different. Um, so, you know, you have to take that into consideration, of course. They weren't lucky or anything. They were simply one of the best teams. But, um, yeah. yeah, good for them. I um, mean, if, if all else fails, Dagelsman could always just call up the under-17s and let them play yeah. the Euros next year. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they know how to win a tournament, so... Give it to them. But you know what actually would be smart? Uh, Christian Wirkwood was the head coach of this tournament and has been putting this to game, coach this team for the last three years. Call him up. You know, just bring him in as one of the coaches just to kind of share that expertise. It's maybe not the worst idea in the world. Um, so, you know, the coaching staff could maybe use someone like that. Um, yeah, just thought. Hmm. No, absolutely. It'd be, it'd be... It'll be interesting to see what happens from going on, but it's 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 great news for German. It's it's just great news finally for German football fans to kind of enjoy and have something to celebrate. Um, yeah, I guess we'll kind of see where they go from here. 
you know, it's been like decades and decades and decades since we've won a World Cup. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard being a German <laughs> national team. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about this top spiel because, <laughs> Stefan, I don't know about you, but I thought this was an incredibly fascinating game that absolutely lived up to its billing. Um, it was a game between two teams that were tactically set up very different. Um, I think that when you write the narrative of a game, and you always have to do that, right? I think that that early Dortmund goal, um, you know, kind of was like almost giving away... Well, you know how you can bury the lead? This is like the opposite of it because it dictated so much of how the rest of the game went. And... um, was a real test for Leverkusen, especially when, you know, Dortmund score first. By the way, Phil Cook, his work ahead of the Rierson goal, superb. Um, I, th- I thought that was really, really good how he shielded the ball and made the space. Um, but the fact then that VAR intervened and took away the equalizer for Leverkusen, I think that made it a real, real test. Probably the toughest test, actually, that Alonso faced yet this season um, is tactically at least right because of the way Dortmund were set up and I thought this was that made it so interesting because there was one point where I and I wrote this in the chat I like this Leverkusen side could play another two hours and won't score they did score because of Patrick Schick but Stefan this was a hugely fascinating game yeah it was an incredible game it was it was thoroughly enjoyable Um, Mm -hmm. and you know I mean I mean, to start with the Dortmund goal, I do still have suspicions that Fulkrug was offside like in the first play of the game. It's not really important. It's not really something to dwell on because, you know, VAR either looked at it and said it wasn't something or they just decided to leave it because it was a good maybe 20 passes before the goal itself. Oh, but, yeah, but hold back you know, on that. Uh, didn't Wasn't that the same with Boniface? Let's say it was offside. We don't know, but Boniface's well, offside was like three or four yeah. passes ahead of time too. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I mean, if he was offside, then he missed a huge call there. But maybe they looked at it, they didn't. And kind of well, to give him the benefit of the doubt there, because um, I, I just really can't be bothered complaining about refereeing calls or conspiracies or anything like that. Um, so I just kind of, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, more or less, it was a match, which. You know, we kind of saw the best of both these teams. You know, I think Leverkusen played their exact style of football um, that we've seen them play all season. We've seen them dominate Dortmund as we've seen them, you know, um, take control of a game against Bayern Munich earlier in the year. We saw them do the same against Leipzig. And it was further proof that this Leverkusen team can really impose themselves tactically on just about any team in in German football right now, which is just itself absolutely fascinating um and you know they had a handful of chances that kind of palacios chance comes to mind where hummels uh kind of got in the last minute i think it was um there was a couple oh, by of the half- way note note for later we need to talk about hummels yes of course absolutely <laughs> um and you know it, and then of course on the flip side you had a Dortmund team who more or less approached this game like a champions league match um you know, the manner in which they score the goal, maybe there's a bit of luck in it. Not just in the sense of, like, you know, the offside calls mentioned, but just the way that the ball kind of bubbles through the box and, 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 and Rearson ends up just kind of showing up out of nowhere to score. It was very kind of 
Marcel Schmelzer is or, you know, Kevin Grosskreutz in the sense that you're just like, what the hell is he doing there? And then he suddenly sticks the ball to back in it. Um, and, you know, you did kind of wonder whether mm, maybe they've scored too early there. Or are they going to be able to hold out and do this for the full 90 minutes? Um, but more or less, that's exactly what they did. And I think, you know, we've talked about this on the show a few times now this season, and we keep going back to it. This Leverkusen team do sorry, this Dortmund team do seem to be far more comfortable when they can sit deep, play defensively, um, and try and hit teams on the counter attack. And I think that largely comes down to the fact that that kind of system and those kind of tactics get the best out of the two best players. And the two best players this season have been Gregor Kobel and Mats Hummels by a country mile, in my opinion. Um, and you know, I think both of them were you know at the top of their game today. You can maybe make an argument that Hummels does kind of run off uh, in the lead up to Leverkusen goal and kind of, you know, he loses Patrick Schick, which gives him the space to do what he does in the box. But aside from that kind of 15 seconds, he was basically faultless throughout the match. And um, there's there's a humility to him this season. There's, a, uh, you know, there's there's we've talked about how him and Marco Royce have kind of had these renaissances at Dortmund because they no longer feel maybe the burden of being the captain or senior captain or whatever of this team. They're not the, they're not the saviors of this Dortmund team anymore. They're just good senior players. And it seems that both players have really kind of thrived without having that limelight placed upon them. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Hummels has been outstanding, um, which is, which is so interesting, but, in this game, in the Champions League game against AC Milan, uh, and other matches we've seen this season, um, yeah, he's 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 been pivotal to them picking up points like this. This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The holiday season is off and rolling with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. For up to the minutes by sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big four. BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that is played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. The last 180 minutes were incredibly outstanding by Mats Hummels. Um, the, the, it's not just the, the manner uh, and his presence, but he has, his timing is impeccable. Um, the, the, it was the Palacios one that you mean, the monster tackle, right? Just before he gets in and then he, I, I don't know how Hummels does that. It's just... You know, to time it that way is so incredibly difficult. Um, I think 99 out of 100 players would probably break Palacio's neck there and go off with a red card and never play a game again, right? And um, get a penalty and all that sort of stuff. But he times these challenges so well. And um, his opening pass at the moment is also, you know, quite outstanding. You contrast that with Emre Shan, who almost gave a goal away, right? Where with their, where they played the ball short out of the back and um, he has that moment of madness where he loses complete focus. And Hummel's game right now is just so immaculate. 
is probably the best word for it. It's just perfect. It's perfect defending. There was a really good line, and unfortunately, I don't have it in front of me. But um, the technical direct, the technical team at UEFA awards the uh, man of the match. Um, they they have a little sentence that they write on why the the player gets a man of the match, and he was the man of the match against Milan. And they just they they, they just said it was technically outstanding. Every phrasing it, it was technically outstanding defending. Mats Hummels showed the highest level level uh, expected from a centre back, and you know, the wording was just, it just underlined everything that you need to know about Mats Hummels' game. And you, you could basically just reprint that entire thing and um, use it for use it for this, this performance because he was perfect. I think without Mats Hummels uh, and VER, Dortmund lose this game probably 3 or for one right? Um, and that is, that I think is everything you need to know. And you know who else I think had a really good game on the left there was Rielsen. I mean, he scores the goal, right? But his work rate against Frimpong was outstanding. Um, there was there was moments where he won almost every single tackle, um, and you balance. So you you sh- you you take that in opposite to Marius Wolf, where the side that was way more open, right, and way more dangerous. I thought you know he had a really good game as well, um, and yeah, I think. You know, without those two and Kobel, of course, um, Dortmund would have been in a lot of trouble. I, there was this one moment, and I put this in the chat, the free kick by Grimaldo, where Hummels runs back and he knows exactly where the ball ends up. Um, I'm not sure how I would feel about that as a goalkeeper, because that's my corner. <laughs> but I, I had to really laugh. I'm like, what is he doing? And then the ball ends up there, and I'm like, wow, did he, like, just as an insurance marker stand there I thought it was quite interesting yeah I mean you said like does he not trust Cobell and I was like <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Hummels trusts none of his teammates at Dortmund this season at least in a defensive sense yeah but Cobell has prob- been good <laughs> no yeah Cobell's the exception of course but I mean there's other central defenders and you know I think you're right I think Rearson if you look at those that defense over the course of the season I think Rearson's the only other one who comes out with pass marks um I think if you had Ben Zabaini at left back for that game, I think Frimpong runs rings around him. Um, and I think the key thing about Rearson is really important is that he might not be the fastest player, he might not be the most technical player, but he seems to always know where to be. He knows his positioning has to be set. He never, he never strikes me as a player who is often caught out of position, even though he's technically playing on the wrong side. He's obviously, a, you know, he's a right-footed fullback. I know he can play left back very well. He's got plenty of experience doing it, but. Um, it's still it's 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 still an extra task to do that with your weaker foot and yeah you're absolutely right I actually thought Frank Pong had a pretty poor game on the whole um, yeah but you know, I thought that's because of Rierson no of course but even like yeah. his, I thought his, I thought his um, delivery was quite poor and yeah and and I truth. thought you know just to kind of maybe shift the the, the, the discussion over towards Leverkusen for a moment um, I thought it was really fascinating how they struggled to break the Dortmund team down because. I guess they're maybe used to finding the space that they have to find in the box. Um, they're used to breaking teams down. They're used to running through players, uh, teams. They're used to playing one twos, having Frimpong, you know, running behind. And this Dortmund team are perhaps the first good team that they've played who are willing to sit this deep. You know, and what I mean by that is they've obviously would have played teams who have sit this deep, but don't have you know Matt Hummels in the box or Gregor Kobel between the posts. They've played teams who have good as good defenders as Dortmund, if not better. But Leipzig and Bayern 
aren't obviously going to sit that deep. They're going to sit on the halfway line. They're going to try and take the game to Le- Leverkusen. And that's why Leverkusen more or less had a lot of success against both those teams. Um, so this is probably the first combination of good players who are humbly defending very deep. And I thought that made Victor Boniface look very, very average. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't want to obviously pick on the guy too much, but it was the first time I've watched him this season. I thought he's just not offering anything here. Uh, and I know he huffed and puffed and he tried to get onto as much as he could. And I know he was probably battling physically with players the whole game uh, and god knows he didn't have a huge amount of space to work into but um the fact that patrick shit come shit comes on and immediately makes a difference i think was quite telling um and hey i mean anyone who was hoping that leverkusen were going to kind of drop points or kind of begin to fade off the fact that patrick shit has now come back from injury and I mean, it's easy to figure out how good he was for Leverkusen when he was fit. You know, I think a fit and informed Patrick Schick is as good a striker. Um, you know, he's maybe not a top, top tier striker. and he's, he's maybe not Harry Kane. He's maybe not Erling Haaland. But, you know, he's he is a very, very good striker. He, he brings something to that Leverkusen team that maybe Boniface um, struggled to do in this game. And... Uh, it, 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 it routinely felt like Leverkusen were getting to the edge of that Dortmund box sometimes they would get past the first guy but it was either the service or the fact that Boniface just wasn't finding the space I mean the amount of times I've watched Florian Gwertz or Frimpong or Grimaldo try and cut a ball back to Boniface and two or three Dortmund players got their first to the ball uh, I thought was really telling but uh, look Leverkusen are still top of the table. They're still unbeaten in all competitions. And, you know, I think it says a lot about how far they've come under Xavi Alonso that they absolutely battered Dortmund for about, what, 88 minutes of this game. And uh, they've walked away with it with a point, but are probably really frustrated at that. And that's the kind of Bayern Munich level of expectation. You know, only Bayern have the right to walk away from a game like that and play that well and be frustrated. But the fact that Leverkusen are doing it shows just how good a team they are. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, First of all, uh, I need to say this. Why can we not have the zone Germany in Canada? It's so much better. Um, (laughs) They had uh, Michael Ballack on, who I I think did a really good job breaking down this game. And... um, it was really interesting hearing the commentary that he made about Leverkusen. Obviously, he's a former Bayer Leverkusen player, right? Um, and part of the Fietzkosen side in 2002. Um, and, you know, he, he he made a really excellent point about Victor Boniface that I thought was quite interesting. He said he's an excellent striker, but his timing is still sometimes off and he stands too much in offside, which um, I know was beyond the end, but you know that 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 play that was felt like it was a minute before Florian Wirtz with his incredible finish did make it one one right and the goal got called back, but that that did cost Leverkusen the goal, right? And um and it's interesting that Michael Balak points that out. Um, you know those who Michael Balak was was a kind of a that kind of player that was very much detail oriented, right? He had a quite successful career. And I think it's really fascinating that he picked on that. And he picked on that just before Victor Boniface stood offside before the Florian Wirtz goal, right? And um, I think that's maybe some small things that just he has to work on still. Um, he's by no means a finished product. And I think the other thing is too that when with Patrick Schick, 
We have to remember that an, a healthy Patrick Schick, two years ago, some clubs were willing to pay 70 million euros for him, right? And that just shows you the sort of toolkit he has when he, when he or if he's healthy. And I think that is the biggest obstacle for Patrick Schick to be a game changer for the side. Um, I don't think the Africa Cup is going to have as big of an impact as a lot of people believe. Um, I think uh, it isn't really that many games, right, that players would actually miss. And it's also around um, the Bundesliga break anyhow. So I don't think it's that many games. Um, and the other aspect is too that uh, Kusunu is going to be gone, right? Uh, and Tapsoba and uh, Boniface. So hopefully Schick is going to be back. But in defense, they're quite deep on those positions. So I don't actually think that it's going to hurt them as much as people think. Kuzino, by the way, I thought had a really good game. Um, the way he pushed up, up, pushed up the field um, was really fascinating to watch. Of course, that is going to be a difficult aspect to to replace. But I also think that this that Simon Rolf is in North American sports. They do this quite a bit. There's a name for this, right? That you you add when you win, right? Um, you know, you always try to add pieces before whenever the deadline day is, the trade deadline day in your respective sports in North America. And this is very much true for the Bundesliga too. I think that Simon Wolfes is going to give this team, a, this team has earned a chance to win. Um, and that is that that chance to win the Bundesliga title, right? And the team has earned that. And I think the team has earned Bayer Leverkusen maybe adding one or two pieces in the summer and winter to ensure that the, the Africa Cup is going to be, isn't going to be a big of an issue. And I think um, those who seen Simon Rolf is at work during the summer and the pieces that he's added, I'm pretty sure he has something planned for January. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you talk about that squad. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. They are pretty well stocked in defence in the sense that, you know, Hinkapi and Stanisic haven't even really played at all this season. Um, and Hinkapi's a player who's, you know, you talk about a 70 million euro player in in in, in um in the striker in in, 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 in Patrick Schick but um, I don't know why I forgot his name there for a moment um, <laughs> but uh, you know Hinkapi is another one who's been heavily linked with huge moves because of his form over the last couple of years uh, Stanisic also very high rated at Bayern so those are two players who could obviously step in and offer something I do think Kosunu is just going from strength to strength this season um, I've been so impressed with him I think defensively he was so impressive today Um the fact that Dortmund brought in someone like Adeyemi and Kosno was still able to kind of deal with that pace at that stage of the game, I thought was really impressive. The only thing that he really let himself down was when he kind of got wound up by, you know, Marius Wolf when the kind of handbags came out, um, which, you know, fine. Maybe that just shows a bit of... You know, uh, can I say something about that real quick? I thought the referee handled that really well. Yeah. i tell you who else handled that really well, and it showed his experience was uh, Mas Hummels, because he got knocked over at one point, and he just kind of fell over, and he put his hands up, and that was opposite of him saying, I'm already booked, I'm making it perfectly clear that I'm having nothing to do with this. <laughs> do not, yeah, I noticed do, that. <laughs> do not send me off, just because someone's pushed me over, do not send me off, uh, where I think maybe five or six years ago, he would have got up and pushed that person back. Um, but yeah, I think Kosin has been... Really, really outstanding. Jonathan Tat had an amazing game, I thought. I mean, I know, obviously, Phil Krug got the assist for the important goal, but I thought the way that he handled Phil Krug was so fascinating. Um, and he's just come on leaps and bounds, and, you know, hopefully he can 
finally begin to kind of look like that player we've all been hoping he would become one day, but uh, that especially is still, for the that German is national the, team. But that is the point that I always make about Nico Schlotterbeck. Nico Schlotterbeck at 23, like how often have we written off Jonathan Tah? Right? The guy just needed a proper coach and some experience. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's also got Kosovo and Tapsol, but he's a side of him which he does not have for Germany. <laughs> yeah, but, but you could make you can make a point that he wasn't really surrounded by good defenders in the past. No, right? no, of so, course, yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. like for Germany, I mean, yeah. I actually don't think Antonio Rüdiger is a bad defender. No, of course not. No, I know, but we'll see. We'll see how it how it translates to the German national team uh, next summer. But um, the only thing I wanted to bring up in terms of the depth, the only thing I'm maybe thinking this Leverkusen side's beginning to creak a little bit. You know, you would have said up front before Patrick Schick came back, but I thought it was quite telling that when Xavi Alonso wants to kind of change things up, he brought Grimaldo uh, inside. Um, he brought Adley on for Hoffman, and Adley more or less, it was Adley that more or less became the de facto left wing back. And then Grimaldo kind of slotted in as another central midfielder. And if you actually look at that bench that Leverkusen had for the game, okay, they've got, you know, Robert Andrich on the bench who, you know, we all know uh, what he can do defensively. But the only really attacking central player on the bench was Hlozik. And for some reason or another, Adam Hlozik just is not working out at my Leverkusen. It might work out in the future, but it's just not really happening for him right now. And I think that's maybe the one part of the squad that, you know, if I was Seaman Rolfs, Rolfes, I would probably be saying, we need maybe more, um, we need someone else in there who can kind of step in in a game like this. Maybe replace someone like Palacios when they're beginning to look a little heavy in, leg, heavy in the legs and offer, you know, a little more attacking threat because I think that's maybe what Leverkusen lacked in this game. The fact that Grimaldo was asked to kind of become this de facto playmaker in the middle of the park probably shows where the lack of depth in the squad maybe lies and maybe where they have to fix it in January. Yeah, yeah, I thought, uh, I wrote this in the chat, right? I said uh, that Adley replacement was a mistake. Um, I know what he tried to do there, um, offer something different, right? Because Hoffman is an out-wide player and Adley goes a little bit through the middle. So he tried to mix it up because it wasn't working. But I just felt for like a good 10 minutes, the momentum that Leverkusen had was just gone, right? Um, which actually kind of underlines the point that you made there. Uh, maybe it's not because Artley came on, but because it kind of forced Grimaldo into a into a role that he's just not comfortable with. And Anderich, I think, is a is a good is a good piece, but um, you you bring that guy on when you're up one 0 over Dortmund and you are trying to fend Dortmund off. That's when you bring on Anderich. You're not try you're not bringing him on when you're chasing a lead, right? And that's, that that is just like. And I, I think that is a really good point you're making. You almost need more substance in midfield. Um, I think it was Pep Guardiola who said, you can never have enough midfielders, right? Um, so I, I think that is kind of true. And I think that is probably the area that they have to look at and say, okay, yeah, here that's someone someone else that we need to bring in. And Rolfes will know this, right? Like he's a, he was a former midfielder that pretty much played the exact same role. So... Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's more than aware of that. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I, you know, the commentary that I was listening to was dead great. I think it was Stefan Freunde. Um, and, you know, Freund was talking a lot about the shots that Leverkusen were taking, the fact that Grimaldo kept lining up these long shots. And he was saying, oh, yeah, of course, Alonso would have probably advised him to do that half time. And I was thinking to myself, 
that doesn't make any sense. Why? No, Alonso hates that. Yeah, and why? And and if if maybe if you're playing against any other team, but you know, there's no way that um, anyone is looking against looking at that Dortmund team and thinking, let's just hit long shots at Gregor Kobel all day because if there's any goalkeeper in in in, in the Bundesliga right now who can handle that, it's Gregor Kobel. So I felt like that was maybe. I mean, and there were so many opportunities where the ball came in the edge of the box and a Xhaka or a Grimaldo or a Palacios just smacked it over the bar. The only composed shot in the entire game was actually Florian Wirtz, which was offside, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was an interesting game. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think that's maybe... It, it, it maybe showed where this Leverkusen team might have a few kind of... I don't want to go so far as to say cracks because, you know, they're still tall, they're still unbeaten... And they've just absolutely dominated a Dortmund team who've done very well in the Champions League this season. Uh, but yeah, I think that midfield, they might need another central midfielder uh, in January. You know, um, there was a lot of commentary about this. Oh yeah, that's two points for Bayern Munich gained and uh, the title race is over. I'm like, getting a point against Dortmund at home is actually a pretty good result. You know, especially when you were down 1-0. Um, would have Leverkusen liked to win this game? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I watched the the reactions after the game um, by Alonso and Florian Wirtz actually came to the zone and had an um, interview with Michael Ballack, which actually, I want to get to that in a moment because I thought it was really interesting. Um, and you, the reactions very much told you that they wanted to win this game. Um, but at the same time, you know, you gained a point here from a losing position against one of the three three or four best teams in the Bundesliga. And we've seen Bayern Munich plenty this year, knowing that if they had been in the same situation, it's not guaranteed that they would have gotten a win there either, right? So you need to pick up points here and there just to be in the race so that if Bayern Munich do stumble somewhere, that point can be worth its weight in gold. And it's it's not those games that you necessarily need to win where Dortmund lost the title last year was against Stuttgart, Bremen, and Mainz. Those are the teams you need to beat on a regular, right? And that's how you go to go and win the title. So I actually don't think this result is the end of the world. A loss would have been bad. I think that would have taken out momentum. Um, they're having a really difficult opponent next week. The, a game that I'm going to, uh, Stefan, Stuttgart against uh, Leverkusen, unless there's more snow, so no guarantees there. But uh, I am planning to go to Stuttgart against Leverkusen, a game I'm really looking forward to. But... Um, this exchange between Balak and uh, Wirtz was really interesting because it reminded me of when I interviewed him last year, right? Um, he's still a really introvert kid. Uh, Michael Balak asked him a question about, oh, you played in such an open, free position. Can you explain to me why you did that? And then Wirtz got really defensively. He's like, yeah, I just tried to create space. And then halfway between his answer, Balak had to stop him. I'm like, oh, by the way, that was a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just very interesting that you played that way and I actually thought it was a compliment. It was like it was really interesting because like you when you talk to him as a person, he still has that really shy personality. And I'm just waiting for I actually wonder once Wirtz becomes it gets more out of his shell, I think we're going to see an even more impressive player there because you can obviously tell that in his mind he's still not a hundred percent comfortable with the really free-flowing, creative, game-solving player that he is for Leverkusen. You know what I mean? And I just thought that exchange was so interesting that, like, Balak actually had to tell them, like, no, actually, this is a good thing. Like, you, like I complimented you here. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, it's 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 fascinating um, how he's developing, how much is kind of expected of him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right in terms of like the result. I mean, you know, I made a joke in the chat, like you know, Bayern won the weekend and they didn't have to step on the football pitch. I was obviously being a little, you know, um, facetious and just kind of a little cheeky, shall we say? <laughs> um, but if you, if you, you know, you're absolutely right. It's important that Leverkusen don't drop points against the smaller clubs, and you know, as we've seen against, as we've seen Bayern do so many times on their way to winning the title, as long as they just don't lose games is usually enough I mean and, and what I mean by I mean, and by games I mean these kind of one-off games against the best teams in the league uh, now Dortmund obviously haven't been up to the races for a long time when it comes to matches against Bayern but if you look at those Leipzig matches for example in recent years like you know I know Leipzig obviously beat them in the Super Cup but in the league there's been plenty of opportunities where Leipzig have played Bayern off the pitch, but Bayern have done some job just to make sure they don't lose that game, and that's just, that could be so vital as well. I mean, I mean, that might sound like I'm kind of covering my ass here because I said I thought Leverkusen would win this comfortably. I do still think if you play that game 100 times, 99 out of 100, I think Leverkusen win that match, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, it's not as if they played poorly. It's not as if they're beginning to look tired. It's not as if they're beginning to drop off. Um, they look fine. And the fact that they still got to play Bayern at home, uh, I think is huge for this potential title race. You know, uh, if they can kind of continue to grind out results and not drop points against the likes of Stuttgart or Frankfurt or even Leipzig could have got to play before that Bayern game uh, in February, then, you know, they can then go into that game against Bayern and say, we're the ones who don't have to lose here. It's not that Bayern... It's not that we have to beat Bayern to catch them, which is often the case with Dortmund over the years. You know, they have to... If they can just go to the Islands Arena and get three points, then maybe the title race is on. You know, how many times have we been there? If Leverkusen can be in a position where they can say, Bayern have to come here and they have to beat us to win this title, then, you know, I think Leverkusen is in a really strong position. And I think that is the position they remain in right now. Yeah, no, I, I think you're 100% right. Um, of course, they face a really difficult task next week against Stuttgart. Yeah. Stuttgart side up. Added Bremen. It was. I watched the. Uh, I watched some of the game and then I watched the extended highlights on the actual sport studio. Um, it was a two nil that felt that should have been a five nil. Stefan, it was not close. Um, <laughs> and the Stuttgart side has now two hot strikers. Um, Undav coming on really great form. Mm. Uh, by the way, eligible for the German national team. Just saying. Um, <laughs> we do need strikers. He's a good one. Um, but yeah. The Stuttgart side is going to be a really good test, a very different test than Dortmund, right? Because they like to play football themselves. They now play with two two number lines rather than one. Um, you've written quite a lot about Sebastian Hoeneß. I've written a couple of pieces as well. Yeah. I'm really interested to see it uh, now actually removed because the last time I saw Stuttgart live in stadium was at that relegation playoff in Hamburg, right? And I'm really curious to actually now see them as this top team that they are in Germany playing another top team I think it's going to be a very different thing and that's going to be a really interesting test um, so yeah you know what my spiel of the Woche is next week uh, I think I kind of gave it away already but yeah that's going to be interesting but um, I think we did a really good job summing this game up is there any final things that you want to add? No just again a minor warning potentially just to say to bear with us this week as we obviously try and get things out 
Um, we hope this. We, we're sorry we didn't get to maybe cover more teams uh, in this episode. It's just the nature of the week, the way the weekend's gone. We're still close to an hour worth of stuff, rough talking. We so. had different plans, so I'm just saying, snow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we do strive to get to games and that's all because people support us through listening to the show and subscribing so as ever continue to do that please um and yeah i'm just i'm just i'm looking forward to the week ahead should be fun yeah it's gonna be great in hamburg so we're gonna have some special content from hamburg we don't know when yet so bear with us um then obviously next week i am trying to get to stuttgart and i'm also stefan on saturday i'm punishing myself again I'm doing this at least once a year. I'm going to an 1860 game. Nice, nice. You say nice. I, I'm not so sure I feel the same way. But <laughs> So there's going to be a follow-up from my last year's n- newsletter um, on on that. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that. There's going to be... There's a lot happening at 1860. I might have to do three or four to be actually quite frank with you. It's, it's drama. It's drama. Bring out the popcorn. Anyways, um, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We'll be back uh, at some point later this week. Enjoy the midweek games, by the way. Lots of great Dave people call actions, so keep them keep an eye on that as well. And we'll be back at some point next week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.